Hello and welcome to series three of the Poolside Pass podcast. Thank you for joining us again on another series. Uh, in episode one today, we're going to be speaking to Rob Robson. Uh, Rob used to be uh, a swimmer, uh, age group uh, and youth swimmer, some uh, national level. He now swims masters, uh, but is also a sports psychologist uh, who specializes essentially in, um, in motivational styles um, and how we can you know, best motivate motivate swimmers. Um, so we're going to delve into to that side of things uh, with, with Rob in just a short while. Um, but before then, just a quick line from our sponsors, Streamlined. Become a qualified swimming teacher with Streamlined in as little as six days. Learn at your own pace and be guided by our expert tutors. You can do your training face-to-face, online in real time, or a combination of the two. Assessment can be in your club using videos or attending one of our assessment venues. We offer tailored, high-quality support. Quote the poolside pass for an extra 10% discount. Okay, I think it's about time I introduce Rob to the podcast. Rob, welcome. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, good morning. So why don't we just start by getting um, a little bit of background on yourself in terms of kind of how you got into swimming um, and then your, your career as a, as a swimmer um, when you were younger? Yeah, so um, I, I got into swimming many, many years ago. <laughs> uh, I would have been nine when I started, so I'm 47 now. Um, and I, I started at a club called Carnegie up in, up in Scotland. So I think the most, most famous alumnus if you like would have been would be mark sharanek all right up in so up in the but but it's actually quite quite a small club um and i was there until until i i had my i won my first sort of national age group uh championship in scotland at 14 and um and got into the national squads and soon after that i joined um warrender okay uh, in edinburgh uh, and stayed there till I was until I was eighteen, and actually I quit when I was eighteen, as as well. And then I didn't. I I played at swimming at university, um, more of a social thing, and didn't really do much until I was thirty five, and I took up masters swimming. Cool. So, in between kind of eighteen and and thirty five. Um, Obviously, there's there's a number of years that, that have gone by there. <laughs> the wilderness um, years. Yeah, you um you went into to sports psychology. You want to tell us a little bit about how you how you got into that and where that led you? Yeah, I mean, I think the roots of getting into that are from my you know from my my time as a swimmer. Um, I had a, a difficult transition um, from from youth swimming into into senior swimming. Um, I was, you know, at, at sort of 15, 16, I was, you know, I, I kind of felt unbeatable um, at, at 200 breaststroke. Um, I'm sure I lost the odd race, but I don't really remember um, doing so. And, you know, we were doing things like the, you know, the, the old British Grand Prix circuit and things. So I was coming up against, you know, people from all over the country. Um, but then I was a breaststroker and transitioning into into senior swimming meant coming up against you know at that point uh, Adrian Merhouse was the Olympic champion Nick Gillingham was was a silver medalist um, James Parrock was not far behind them and I, I developed 
I mean, I was a very, I was a very conscientious, um, hard-working, you know, ambitious uh, young swimmer. Mm-hmm. I had a, I would have, I think I had a good, you know, what people would have thought outwardly was a good attitude to the sport. But actually, I developed a number of probably quite unhealthy, um, you know, beliefs and attitudes along the way, uh, and I didn't cope with transitioning into from being the, the, the sort of the, the big fish in the small pond to yeah. the, the small fish in the big pond really not my confidence um i was you know very focused on the gap between me and those guys um rather than you know what i was doing day in day out how i was training how i was swimming what i was what i was doing about that gap if you like yeah um, and it just over that period of time, my confidence eroded, and I, I, you know, I actually went to the World Cup competition in Sheffield in 1991, which was the the test event for the World Student Games um, when Ponsford's first opened. Yeah, um, and I gave myself an ultimatum, and I realised that I realised retrospectively it was an ultimatum that I would never have been able to fulfill it was so vague and you know nebulous and I quit there yeah and um you know I was I wasn't you know I I I went to see somebody kind of towards the end of that period who was uh I think he was an athletics coach and my my mother was actually a Great Britain gymnastics coach at the time so she kind of knew people um and I went to see this guy who was essentially an athletics coach who tried something with me, something around, you know, using imagery and something, but it wasn't kind of an evidence-based, it wasn't really, he wasn't a sports psychologist and he just had a few, you know, obviously read a book or something. But back then it was very rare, you know, yeah. very, very rare. And, but, but it maybe sparked something in me, that, you know, an interest because I, when I went to Edinburgh University, um, I originally enrolled as a business student because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but I enrolled for psychology um, as an outside course. Right. And, and actually, after the first year, um, you know, switched over. And then, you know, by the time I was finishing my undergraduate degree, I was really interested in sports psychology. I did my dissertation in it, even though it wasn't part of the program. And then I, I went to do the master's degree at Exeter University, which was actually the first master's degree in the country in sport. I was the second year of the first master's degree in the country in, in, um, in sport and exercise psychology. Oh, wow. um, so, you know, came out of that with, with sort of, you know, big ideas and, and, and high hopes. But in truth, um, there was sort of nowhere, there was nowhere really to go in, in many yeah. respects. No career path, <laughs> um, no... You know, there's certainly nobody sort of willing to employ, a, you know, a young sports psychologist. And and so I, I took a graduate job. I actually joined um, PricewaterhouseCoopers as a as a, a trainee uh, management consultant. Okay. And did that for four years, and then went. Then I, I decided, right, actually, I'm going to give this a go. And I did my supervised experience. Um, you know, the the, the the professional part of the training post post um, university stuff um, and I did a lot of work 
with swimmers, um, a, a sort of almost the, the sort of sports psychologist in residence at um, Ealing Swimming Club, because I was living in London at the time. Worked with Dave Heathcock, who was uh, really gone well with and uh, learned a lot from. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then I, I I did that for a while, but then eventually, actually, I went kind of back into the day job more, more into you know into my sort of you know into the, the, the business world again, and I kept up a bit of sports psychology here and there over the years, but n without majoring on it. Um, and then I saw, and, and and actually then. By the time I got back into swimming, I moved up to the Midlands. By the time I got back into swimming, I'd virtually stopped. Um, and then I, I, I actually sort of made quite a conscious decision at, at that point that between having a family, actually enjoying my own swimming, um, working, you know, full time, that the sports psychology was the, you know, was the odd odd thing out, something yeah. I had to give. So I, I didn't really do it for a while, but then it's always been something I've, it's influenced me a lot in my own work. Um, and then in the last couple of years when I've been working for myself, I've, I've been um, training, training people in a, in a coaching methodology, um, which when I say coaching, you know, it's things like, you know, executive coaches and, and that kind of thing mostly, although I've had people come into the program from, from a, a bit of a sports background. Um, and then, yeah, so I've been training people in that and that's, that's based on a theory called reversal theory. That's been a big part of my professional life. And, um, at, I had a guy come on to, on that called Rob Griffith, who, um, it was, is a triathlon coach right? and a coach educator. Um, so he work, works with British triathlon on their, on their programs and, after he'd been on the program, he invited me on to do something at, at British Triathlon just in the morning with their level three program. And we had a real, you know, really enjoyed it. It was great. And, it, and, it, and that was the last thing I did before lockdown. Um, seems, seems like such a long time ago now, right? But, yeah, I know, I know. But what we did is I came away from that really buzzing and we said we should do something. We should, we should definitely do something. And that's, that's what's become sort of my personal project over the last little while, which is the, the motivational sports coach program. Okay. So we'll come on to speak about um, almost like reversal theory, the motivational yeah. sports coach yeah, program yeah. Uh, a little bit further down in, in the podcast. You spoke when you were speaking about kind of the end of your swimming career, how you had some kind of unhealthy attitudes towards uh, your, your own swimming. Yeah. What, what exactly were those kind of unhealthy attitudes and how does your experience now in, in sports psychology, how would you, how would you navigate that time again if you had it? Yeah. I was in, in, in sports psychology terms, I developed, I guess what, what people would describe as an ego orientation, very strong ego orientation versus a mastery orientation. And, mm -hmm. and, or, or, and so I was very focused on outcomes, results, and a lot of, also a lot about what, what people thought. Yeah. Um, and so when I was 15 and I was winning a lot, I, I remember we used to actually get through the post, we used to get rankings on paper, you know, All right. we, used get, we used to get sent them through. And I remember I used to go, right, next time I'm going to beat him. 
and next time I'm going to beat them and then and I and I and I would actually as I did it I'd scrub out or rearrange the rankings and all that sort of stuff which is which is fine in its own right but I didn't have the, I wasn't backing that up with you know you have to back that it's on its own it's, it can it can be very unhealthy you know um, so it needs to be backed up with this sort of you know task involvement mastery sense mastery and so I was I wasn't probably not focused enough on you know the, the things like the process goals and so how you know um, if I want to be an Olympian, which I, you know at the time definitely did, how, mm-hmm. you know, and what and what does that look like, and 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 that becoming the focus, um, and my so my confidence. So at fifteen, sixteen, I was I was supremely confident, um, but it was based on results and comparison, and yeah. then and then as soon as I transitioned into senior swimming and I started swimming in the outside lanes and I can remember I can remember being in uh, the heats of a, a Grand Prix meet with um, you know Nick Gillingham in the middle and just watching him come out of the turn and going oh crap <laughs> <laughs> how's he that far in front you know Ready, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know thinking about that in yeah, thinking about that in a race rather than you know, rather than being focused on what I'm doing. But so it gradually it just eroded my confidence. Um it was very my you know, conf- I'd built a very fragile confidence, if you like, based on based on results. And I built my whole identity around around swimming and 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 that, you know, so because my identity is very firmly based around the swimming and even even school I let slide quite a lot and I was lucky you know i got i got away with it mm-hmm. um so that when my you know confidence really started to go as a sort of you know 17 year old it also really affected my what i thought about myself because yeah. because my identity was so wrapped up in my swimming as well and i and and, and i didn't let myself enjoy what was a what what was a actually look at the experiences i was having as a 15 16 17 yeah. just didn't let myself enjoy it yeah, I was too focused on what it meant, and and I was wrapped up in this, um, you know, like I say, this, this sort of a unhealthy kind of inner bubble. And 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 the th- the problem is, although my coach would say we'd recognise some of that, because I'm actually quite introverted, I probably didn't share a lot of it as well. Mm-hmm. So I think looking back now, as as that sports psychologist, if you were you know, if you were speaking to your, to your old coach, what, what advice would you give to the coach in terms of to, to try and develop that kind of mastery orientation for, for, the, for the swimmers that you worked with? It's interesting because, you know, I, I, I actually, I think my advice would be to, my, to myself. I think in spite of, in spite of, I, I think I was like that in spite of my, you know, in spite of right. my coach. Yeah. Um, but I think there is good advice you can give, which is to really, you know, that 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 actually, it's particularly at the younger ages. I think the the research shows that the time to catch people is is around eight, nine, ten, to really help. You know, before that, when you say to, if you say to a sort of six year old, seven year old swimmer that's just come last in a race, you go, brilliant, well done. You know, you did really well. You tried really hard. They'll go, yeah, great. You know. And it's only then it's sort of kind of around eight, nine, ten where they start to go, yeah, but I'm not as you know, maybe I'm not as good as 
as those others and I came last and you know that yeah. sort of stuff and so it's really those building blocks um, from an early age to get people really focused on what really matters is that you're not only that you're getting better in terms of things like time because mm-hmm. we all we all plateau at some point more or less but they're getting better at the skills and I think a lot of coaches have I think I think that really actually has pervaded pervaded into into coaching, um, you know, probably a lot more now. Yeah, um, much better at that now than perhaps coaches maybe used to be. Yeah, but I think I think clubs and not just coaches send messages that they're not necessarily um, send messages to swimmers that they're not necessarily conscious of. So, like things like um, when you know, clubs get themselves, you know, and I say the clubs, that includes parents, the committee, you know, they all get kind of very excited about things like winning the local junior league and things, you know, that sometimes seems more important than, yeah. the, way, than the development of the swimmers. Absolutely. And it's, and it's just little things like that. It can undermine, you know, undermine that kind of, that healthy message. That, um, for for swimmers, which is just a, about you know, it's about learning, it's about becoming the best swimmer you can be. You know that sort of uh, junior league on a Saturday night. It's just you know, it's not doesn't matter that much if we win it or not. You know yeah. all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so it's like uh, I think junior league in the UK is like um, I don't know if you've heard about like. Uh, mini league in the usa it's like baseball where they have these like 12 year olds travel around the country playing baseball in front of like crowds all over the tv and you just think what a kind of unhealthy environment that is for someone to learn to play baseball in uh, on tv and everything yeah (laughs) but i i i see i mean i was i was swimming in the um in the, the arena league, I nearly called it the speedo league and showed my age. Um, <laughs> I swam in the arena league for uh, for Leamington, uh, you know, um, until five years ago, and I was and I was very aware of watching some of their youth swimmers, who you could see that they really enjoyed doing well at that meet. Mm-hmm. They really liked the fact that they were in, in that local kind of environment they were you know the, the big fish as it were yeah but they wouldn't go on and maybe even wouldn't go to you know to midlands or they weren't really striving to go to nationals for example and it's like that was their comfort zone they you know they it was enough for their ego to sort of stay there and you know and and and, and be the fast and be the fastest in the club i think yeah so quite often you get that that scenario with with the swimmers a bit uh, well I'm the fastest in the club like, yeah you know okay well done but um it and it's it, it's not that it should always be that everyone's on everyone's on a pathway to you know to become an olympian and and you should judge yourself on that but it's when when you see swimmers that are sort of actually they're holding themselves back they're not they're not actually stepping out into to challenge themselves then yeah. you see something a little bit unhealthy going on and like I say, in my own case, I couldn't really fault. Certainly at, at Warrender, I couldn't certainly couldn't fault the the um, you know the, certainly my coach 
um, I think when I was younger at Carnegie, it was a bit more of an old-fashioned club. A lot, an awful lot of emphasis put on those things, like those local leagues, mm-hmm. um, and and also I was I was encouraged to specialise very young, right? Um, and you know, so at eleven I was in what we described as our A squad, you know, and that was a mixture of that's from from me up to you know Commonwealth Games swimmer, you know, so very very wide range and. Um, and I was, you know, I, I remember that I I got to the point at 11, I was, I was pretty competitive at all four strokes, but I, I started just doing either front crawl or breaststroke in training, you know, and I, I, my other strokes were neglected. And it meant that when I went through that difficult period, I didn't have a fallback. Yeah. You didn't have um, else you could swim. I, I didn't. And, and, <laughs> I, and I used to go away with, um, with the national squad, we used, to, we used to go to a meet, and you know they'd say coaches would say, "Right, so what events are you doing?" You know, and because it wouldn't be a match, it would we'd go, you know, we'd go to a meet. So they go, "What events are you going to do?" And I said, "Well, 100 and 200 breaststroke." Okay. Yeah, but what else? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? What else? <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I remember actually sort of reluctantly. Like, I remember going to uh, meet in Luxembourg and and. Um, reluctantly agreeing to to do the 100 freestyle and just coming out and being so embarrassed about where I was you know yeah and and again that's that unhealthy view of it's all about outcomes and results and all that sort of stuff you know but it was uh, yeah (laughs) so that yeah so you get the idea (laughs) yeah so let's um let's talk about um a bit about reversal theory in terms of the area of sports psychology you're probably mm. most interested in. Tell us a little bit about that. I've done a little bit of research, but it's, it's not something I've come across before, so it'd be yeah. interesting to hear about it. It's not mainstream even in the sports world, although it's although sport is where it's had a, you know, a reasonable amount of transaction, uh, attraction. It's, it's a theory of um, sort of motivation and emotion, motivation, emotion, and personality. Mm-hmm. And effectively what it says is that... Um, it, it, it's like a map of the, the dynamic relationship between our motivations and our emotions. And so what it says is that there are eight different motivations or motivational styles that are related to, 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 to basic motives or values. And they're like lenses through which we experience events. Yeah. And whichever set of lenses we've got on affects which emotions we experience. And so, from a from a sports perspective, it, it's a good way of unpicking, you know, people's uh, emotional experiences and how those are affecting maybe how those are affecting performance. Um, but but the, the sort of very dynamic nature of it is a is a good way of, um, of being able to get into problem solving. Yeah. If you, it's very difficult for you to change your emotions, but if with a bit of help and a bit of you know, a bit, of, a bit of help becoming more kind of aware of them and, and, and able to describe them. So in, in a coaching setting, I use cards with, with a variety of words for each emotion yeah. written on them. People can, they, they do experience those emotions and they can describe them sometimes with a bit of help. But it's the motivations that change. It's the motivations that, are, that provide the sort of the lever 
if you, if you like, that you yeah. as a coach or a psychologist can actually work with. And so all sorts of things can influence those motivations, thoughts, your thoughts, your focus, your belief, even the environment, what the coach is saying, all those things are can effectively trigger a change in, in your motivations or and there's also the bit about intensity and you know and, and managing ma- managing without necessarily changing those, those yeah. motivations kind of you know moving up and down and that sort of stuff um, but we also uh, you know it's it's not a massive part of the theory but but there's also part of it which is says look each of these emotions is just a signal it's you know we don't experience emotions like anxiety just because you know it's like you know God playing tricks on us. <laughs> we experience them because our brains have evolved to warn us about things. Yeah, and each each emotion has a sort of a natural, um, productive response. Um, so, for example, if you're feeling anxious, then the natural productive response to that is to prepare, get ready, and 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 so the first thing we generally ask in that sort of setting is is so how could you use this emotion? To your advantage and even that alone is quite a quite a powerful thing absolutely yeah so but the nice thing about reversal theory specifically is it's 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 got this internal and intrapersonal aspect to it but it's also got this relational aspect to it and so the relationship between that and the and the motivational sports coach program is is that we can use it as a as an underpinning theory to, to look at a number of different things and to weave them together. You know, one of the when you look at um, the the stuff around sports coach effectiveness, one of the key words in in, in that is in integration. Yeah. You know, so it's um, you know uh, Gilbert and um, and Cote talk about integrating the interpersonal knowledge, interpersonal knowledge, and the t- and the sort of more technical stuff. And so we use reverse theory as an integrator in there. So we, 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 we've got, we talk about you as a coach becoming more self-aware and understanding yourself and being able to manage yourself. Yeah. Using the same, although we use lots of other theories as well, but, but there's this under, underpinning thing about being able to use uh, reversal theory then to understand your athletes better. Then to understand the relationship between you and your athlete. And then to understand the environment that you're creating, and and by using, by using it, by, by although we use different theories at each stage, just just you know to to kind of uh, to bring it to life, we keep coming back to reversal theory because it if it's like building a common language, a language that that, that between that you get to know better, um, you get to know yourself better with, that you can use with your athletes, and 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 rather than seeing everything as like the academic world in psychology has a bit of a tendency to sort of create all these different siloed ideas. Um, you know, anxiety is different to confidence, is different to dealing with, you know, different thinking styles or whatever. It's, yeah. But actually, they're all just parts of the same thing. You know? Yeah. Just parts of the same thing. And so what that so what that framework what reversal theory is a framework helps us to do is to start put it back together again and say look we're actually are talking about a whole thing it's, it's a, like a human system yeah it's all interrelated right because it can, is I yeah anxiety will affect your confidence which in turn could affect your motivation which will then in 
impact on Nelson and so yeah, on. yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it's you know I I have at times thought maybe I could represent all this with arrows and things, and you realise it's just a woof. Because <laughs> you know anxiety can affect your confidence, and confidence can affect your anxiety, and motivation can affect your confidence and confidence can affect your motivation and <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it, and it, i think you can you can wrap yourself up in knots about it but whereas actually then so what i think in many respects you know a good coach will do is take a few nuggets things that they find useful and take a little bit of a step back from the detail of it and be able to do that integration and think right in front of me as a young person, how can I, you know, what's going to work? Not sitting there kind of, you know, thinking, right, this theory says that and that theory says that. And, you know, and, and in a way that is, a, in a way that's the job of, you know, the sports psychologist versus a coach is to go into that, that greater level of depth yeah. to, to try and solve a problem. But even then, you have to make your choices. You know, as a, as a professional sports psychologist, you you say, right, I'm going to use these theories and I'm going to, you know, because I, I, I can't hold everything in my head. <laughs> yeah. And so you make, you still make choices. Um, and, and, and a coach has to make those choices as well. But they're also making those choices about physiology and nutrition and, and all that sort of stuff. So, so they have to take us. It's not about, and I say simplify, it's about simplifying things a bit. And I, I don't mean in terms of, you know, in any way in terms of things like dumbing down, but it's about sort of taking a step back from the detail a bit because you go, I've got an athlete here, they're, you know, upset about their swim. I have to deal with that here and now. Yeah, you know, live. And what I, what I say next is going to have an impact on them. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so would you say in terms of like the takeaway for the reversal series for, for coaches that might be listening now, is it in terms of asking asking their athletes how can they use those emotions productively in terms of let's, let's strip it back it's, what emotion are you feeling and how like what yeah. is the cause of it and how can you use that then there's three basic strategies that we talk about yeah so the first is using it mm -hmm. and that um you know last last week um adam Pitti, you know there's a brilliant quote from adam Pitti you know, after the ISL um, or on the poolside, you know, talked about bringing the emotion and you know, needing the adrenaline. Yeah. You know, um, so that's, so using it. The second one is, is, um, is, is managing it. So you don't manage the emotions, but, but what you manage your perception effectively and what's affecting that emotion. So that's about moving up and down. So yes. for example, if it's anxiety, if it's anxiety, be talking about, you know, reducing that perception, whatever's causing you to perceive that situation as a threat, mm -hmm. like. And then the third one, though, is is about is the thing that's a bit unique to to reversal theory, which is about these all these motivations are are, are oppositional. And so, what it says is, if you can flip to the opposite perspective, then you will experience the same situation completely differently. So that's like flipping from excitement, from anxiety to excitement, yeah. for example. And if you can actually change your perspective on the, on the whole situation, then what you will experience is, is, you know, like I say, completely different. Cool. So let's talk about um, your 
project now so the motivational sports mm. coach hopefully i've uh, got that right yeah that's um yeah. tell us a little bit about that what its aims are and kind of where you're looking to go with that yeah so it started out as a, a sort of a response in, in a way to to going into lockdown and just you know um but having a good experience with with the, the, the guys at, at british triathlon and, and um, so working with a, a guy called this guy Rob Griffiths, as I mentioned, and, and and what we 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 both have this interest in reversal theory, and we both had this idea that it was um, it it might be a good way of of framing that whole psychosocial aspect of 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 coaching. Yeah. The other thing that we sort of thought and and kind of we did some research that that that, that bore this out was that. Um, that's probably in many respects what's lacking in, in coach development. Um, I think things are things are changing and improving, but but many coaches said to us they haven't had the opportunity to really develop themselves in in that way in in terms of their own ability to to become more self aware to manage themselves to to deal with their own emotions. And it's a sense of becoming more sort of emotionally intelligent, if you like. Yeah. Um, and actually what was interesting was in our own research, coaches actually told us that they, the, the area that they, they sort of flagged was potentially the greatest need was actually helping their own athletes um, with their mental performance. And we were a little bit surprised by that because we thought, we thought that it was quite a well-trodden path. Yeah. Um, and that there was a lot of material out there, but maybe in the in the sample, you know, in the, in the group of people that, that that we sampled, it was maybe that that's not kind of cutting through, or maybe it's not practical enough, or you know, or I don't know. There there is definitely still a big sort of research practice gap in in the, in this area in the translation from. From the academic sort of literature into the practical, so we were we were a bit, bit surprised at that. But what what we what it led to is this program, which is focused on four things, four four main objectives. So yeah. there's the, the bit about managing yourself and as, as a coach, becoming self more self aware, and being able to sort of manage your own emotions and behaviours. Then there's supporting the athlete's mental performance. Um, the third bit is, is about the coach-athlete. Well, actually, we started off thinking about it in terms of the coach-athlete relationship, but actually it's just relationships. Yeah. Because what coaches also told us is that there are other relationships that they find difficult to manage, you know, Absolutely. whether it be parents, committees, governing bodies, whatever. Um, and then the final one was about, is a final objectives about managing the team environment. Right. And, and, and it's also, it's not, and it's, I suppose there's an underlying objective there, which is about pulling them together. Yeah. Because they're all interrelated, as, as you mentioned earlier on. And we've got three words that keep coming into what we, you know, three words that keep coming into kind of what we talk about and we're using them more and more is, is um, empathy, resilience, and adaptability. Right. And so those are three things that we think are important in sports coaching and for sports coaches to develop. Um, and those are three things that kind of run through the, the program that we're, we're doing. 
Awesome. So if uh, coaches listening wanted to find out more or kind of get involved with that program, how, how yeah. do they go about doing that? Um, so the, there's a few ways. There's, we have a, a site um, at uh, motivationalsports.coach. Yep. Um, and we're still building content for the program, but we've opened, we've opened up enrollment at a, a lower, lower price for the time being. Um, we've got a, a group of you know, community, sports coaching community at um, motivational, uh, sorry, Facebook. Um, it, well, search Facebook, search Facebook for the motivational sports coach community. Um, and then we're on, we're on Twitter as well as the motivational sports coach. I think it's at Mot Sports Coach. Um, we'll make sure we include it all in the, in the show notes as well. So yeah, that'd be good. And you want to get in, get in touch or get involved, um, take a look at the show notes and uh, it should all be in there for you. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. I mean, it may be, I'm not quite sure when this will, this one will go out, but you know, by, by the time it goes out, we may have actually completed the, the first full round of, of content. Okay, cool. I think um, so this is the series three, so this will be you know just after the new year. So I don't know where that fits in in your timeline. Yeah, uh, yeah it should be actually reasonably complete at that point. Cool. Okay. Well, um, well, Robson, thank you very much for your time. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking to you about your experiences swimming and uh, with sports psychology as well. Uh, it's been been great. Uh, thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. Okay. Um, Thank you very much to the listeners for, for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did and you want to find out more about the work Rob does, uh, make sure you check out all the information in the show notes. Um, until next time, take care.